Good evening. Welcome to the Late Night Latte on Latte Firm. What a weekend of peak Barclays, ladies and gentlemen. Oh, yesterday was exhausting. So much content to absorb. Arsenal emphatic down on the south coast, winning away at Bournemouth by four goals to nil. Manchester United in disarray. Manchester City getting beaten away at Wolves. The Korean guy scoring the winner. And of course, the Invincibles live on. Then the evening kickoff came around. Oh, this that lots to dissect and i've got a great panel tonight so without further ado i will bring the gents in but just after there's a couple of comments that have caught my eye in the chat v vlad first in the house tonight saying good evening fk and everyone still buzzing after yesterday's win and the other results onwards and upwards to tuesday come on you gunners yes of course arsenal back in action away at Lens in france on tuesday and of course manchester city the big one next sunday at the carpet that's going to be a cracking game canterbury guna evening fk and panel glad to catch you live again especially after a thumping away win the late night lattes always hit so much sweeter when we've won a game and when when we've just been you know, able to sit back and just absorb and take in all the barclays uh that has been served up on a dish um uncle doris evening kids yesterday just seemed too easy i wonder how we'll fare later in the season when we face bournemouth at home well of course if the officials do their job then hopefully we'll be able to win that game mohammed imran khan at khan says five star lineup tonight can't wait to watch what everyone has to say on the game i debito evening friends yembe LA in the chat, of course. Evening, everybody. My snack check for what should be an awesome late night latte is a Terry's chocolate orange bites, a simply superb snack. We will do that, of course. Uh, thanks, everybody. JT, Trevor Bibbins, Sherwin saying evening. Kim OFC in the house. Love your edits. Evening, lads. Finally able to make it live. Looking forward to it. Keep the chat coming. And of course, if you're new, please do subscribe. We are on our way to 30,000 subscribers. Let's bring in our guest. First up, needs no introduction. He's a bit of a regular on this channel. It's uh, James. James, welcome to the Latte Firm. How are you, my man? I'm very well, thank you. I'm very well. Um, I finished my master's, um, I finished my dissertation about two weeks ago, so no more penalties for me. Um, I'm very happy to have that done and I have a little bit more freedom in my life. So I'm spending, spending it all day rattling people on, on Twitter. So, <laughs> And you're doing no, a fine job, might I add. Yeah. I mean, listen, I've got to say, your football content has always been elite, right? And I love your opinions on stuff. And I'm so grateful that I've kind of met you on the platform and met you in real life and you contribute to my little channel. But like, I mean, your engagement stats must be through the roof. You're on this podcast, that podcast. <laughs> you're on this video, that video. What's going on? You're going to need an agent soon. It's good fun. It's, I, I don't know. It's, you, you really do put yourself in the firing line, but I feel like... Um, I can take it. And I know that most of it comes from rival fans. So I know that most of it is just them being bitter. But it's, um, I can have a laugh about it most of the time until someone takes it too far. But that is, it's few and far between anyway. Um, but oh, I'm happy to be on again. Good to see you again. Well, it's great to have you on. Uh, look, mum's in the chat. James the goat. Uh, she's uh, she's giving you the support. Um, thanks so much for that. Love that. Let's bring in our other panelist tonight. Of course, he needs no introduction because the different knock is just go just doing wild things on YouTube. It is, of course, Alexander. Welcome to the late night latte, my friend. How are you? Very well, sir. You said bring a snack. I've nearly finished an orange. What you got? What's that? <sighs> this is not how snapchat yeah. works do sorry. not introduce <laughs> it like that there's a big reveal and i have sorry. exciting stuff to reveal okay. have you really all right james let, let's let's pass the baton to you straight away by the way um rs underscore 14 says james is the new laura woodsey absolutely everywhere <laughs> I bet, I bet that. <laughs> yeah i bet you will um right so come on then snack check what you got um it, <sighs> I said exciting. It's not exciting. I think it might just confuse people. So as you know, I haven't really eaten. Um, so you said bring a snack. 
Um, and I didn't. I there is dinner on a plate downstairs. But in the meanwhile, I grabbed a. Um, that that looks oh. uncooked. I promise it's oh. not. I promise it's not. Um, <laughs> the hey, the, face, the me... face is because you brought chicken to, to late night latte, which I'm a big fan of. Is is that like straight off the dinner plate? If, if you just nabbed it from the oven? Yeah, yeah, I've just I've just yacked it from there's a there's a whole chicken I've just yacked off a um, sensation. But also, but also, oh, also, he's got one of my as favorite. <laughs> oh Christ! I've brought a Belgian bun with me. <laughs> Oh mate, you! I tell, do you know what that might just be? So, <laughs> say, quite, of the season so far. Historical. Look, he's frozen as well. Look at that, Alex. He's frozen on that exact moment. That is uh, fantastic. And he's licking his fingers. <laughs> James, <laughs> you, I salute you, my friend. You have you are in the in the lead this season of snack checks, and yeah, the chat's gone wild. Trevor Bibbins there with the heart in the eyes emojis and the tasty sort of tongue sticking out. Chicken, Yembele. Yeah, I think he's he's gone to have a moment. Yembele, uh, he, he knew that. And uh, KSSMYW, OMG, James just blew the snack check wide open. I love it. Uh, Wayne, not too keen on that. Where's the seasoning, James? Um, maybe he's got no, no, no. Oh, oh, mouthful. There's see what you do, white boy seasoning, Wayne. You wouldn't get it. <laughs> right. Okay. Let us move on. I've, I've just got a brew today. I've been to a wedding. Uh, been to a wedding of a close family friend, and uh, we were fed to our eyeballs in that lamb biryani and all sorts of stuff at the uh, at the hotel down in uh, Kensington, which was lovely. So I've got myself a lovely brew in my latte firm mug. And do you know what? I've nicked a couple of my son's little Mars fun fun size things. They're so small that two just hits the spot perfectly. So I'm gonna I'm gonna tuck into them as you guys talk. Um, keep the chat coming, uh, and welcome to everybody watching also on Twitter. We are streaming on Twitter for the second time. Hamez is gonna refresh his internet. So you do that while I bring up the slides, James, uh, and let's do that. Um, right. As per normal, let's get through some of the slides. If you're just tuning in, please do like the video. It is, of course, uh, greatly appreciated. Uh, and subscribe, of course, if you're new, because we are on our way to 30,000 subscribers. Um, Alex, let's bring you in immediately as James sorts himself out. The team news, as you can see, courtesy of Arsenal.com, and the headline reads, the Gunners cruise to victory, which is great. Um, David Raya was kept in goal. I, I feel so sorry for Aaron Ramsdale. Not quite sure how this is going to end between him and the club. Uh, but Benny White on the goal-scoring sheet. Gabriel, a colossal performance at centre-back, often the unsung hero, I feel. Saliba and Sinchenko, who came off just after the hour mark. Declan Rice managed to overcome his back and calf and whatever other injuries that he had, so sadly taken off a halftime in the North London derby with Erdegaard and Havertz who finally got off the mark we'll talk about Kai of course with Saka, Jesus and Enketia up front um the subs bench is also looking really strong with Ramsdale, Tomiyasu Kivior, El Neni back in the mix, Jorginho, Vieira, Smith Rowe who looked a bit sharp I think in the last couple of games, Nelson and Trossard good to see him back from injury as well when the team news was announced Alex it's your hometown um what was it like to uh to kind of you know what was your mood like optimistic confident a little bit anxious. How are you feeling? Yeah, I was I was fairly surprised about how many players started considering what Mikel was saying during the week. And I, I got accused of being naive for believing Mikel. But I actually, I don't think that's fair because I think Mikel is always honest. He just doesn't actually tell you a lot. So he sort, he sort of said, essentially, you know, we'll have to see. And I sort of went, I'm surprised that Saliba and Rice and Saka all played. Um, yeah, but anyway, but I, um, I wanted on the, on the Raya Ramsdale thing, it's interesting because I suppose my initial response was it was of no 
I was thinking about other things. I wasn't, it's, 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 you know, we're already three games down the line. And I'm already starting to go, well, yeah, Raza number one, which is probably an indictment of it. I've got some numbers here that I saw just before I came on, which I think are interesting. Their, um, their numbers are fairly similar. I mean, obviously there's like sample size stuff that you have to think about, whatever. But there are certain things that I, I think sample size um, can't particularly uh, account for. And that is, if you look at Raya's uh, accurate high claims per game, he's at 2.25. And at Ramsdale's, wow. it's 0.17. Um, there's a number of other things as well, but that's the one that stood out to me. Um, I think there's a number of things that, uh, maybe this isn't necessarily want to take it, but I think with Raya and Ramsdale, just because it's on my mind, I, I don't think Raya's been terrific um, in, these, in these first few games, but I think there's a sort of mental side of it where you, I, I feel he's slightly more composed than Ramsdale. But again, is that because of Ramsdale's reputation? I don't know. There's a lot of that that it's difficult to tell. We're kind of projecting this idea of, oh, this is a more calm, composed keeper versus our other keeper who's completely crazy. And I wonder whether we're putting a little bit on that, but it does feel like he's more composed. And then I also feel like Raya's actions are just a little bit cleaner. Um, I will say I don't think his long kicking has been sort of stand out. Uh, mm -hmm. But then I looked at the numbers and apparently his, his long passes are more accurate than they were even for Brentford last season. And when you consider he hasn't got as much of a target to hit and stuff. So it's really hard to compare those two. But I suppose to to kind of come back to, to, to the initial question, it's it feels like Riot is the number one now. And I, I was someone who, when it first happened, went, look, they'll interchange. There's going to be, you know, Mikel's going to do the Deserby thing. He's going to bring in Steele, then the Bruggen, you know, whatever. Like, I was completely on that, but I'm, I think Raya's the number one, and it is sad. I agree, but it okay. is sad. And I, it just, you know, he, he, yeah, yeah, of course, uh, James. I mean, he's got three was, clean sheets in four now, and uh, I thought that the, the North London derby was a mixed performance, and Ramsdale did really well away at Brentford. And I thought, well, if Arteta is going to be this ruthless guy that we all know he is, maybe after not the most impressive North London derby, Ramsdale was going to be brought in. But James, what are your thoughts on the goalkeeping conundrum? Um. Well, I guess the thing is, people have made a big thing about, oh, this is such a bad deal. Why why have we signed Raya? Ultimately, the truth is we need the best goalkeeper that's going to win us games. And if we're going to be challenging for a title, we can't have a weak spot due to sen sentimentality reasons. So I think, yeah, Raya has just been, it's marginal, but marginal gains win you football games. And just this sense of every action being this, little bit cleaner, his positioning being a little bit more proactive, him taking off the pressure when balls come into the box, it's all adding up. And whereas Ramsdale might make these saves, Raya's not having to make these saves because he's putting himself in positions to avoid doing so. And I do think it does transmit a bit of confidence across the defence. And um, it is interesting because it's almost the evolution we went from Leno to, uh, to Ramsdale. Everyone said... It's like you, you've got to put out the fires before they come. And that's what Ramsdale was doing much better than Leno. But now we're going up another stage, potentially, and Raya is able to do it even better than Ramsdale. And I do think that Raya's not perfect. He does have his flaws for certain. But after the North London derby, everyone kind of did a bit of a heel turn on him and said, actually, hang on a minute, is, is he even good? And I thought, hang on a minute, he barely even made any mistakes in that game. I think his passing wasn't as good as it has been. But for people to, I, I just don't like the, the way our fan base is so quick to flip on a certain player. Um, as I say, to me, Raya is slightly better at this point. Hopefully we can keep Ramsdale happy because having both of them happy 
they are two top, top keepers and we need them both because otherwise we're just going to have the same problem in future. Can I, can I just jump in on the back of that just very quickly and make two points because the, the, the North London derby one's a good one and if you look at the way Bournemouth pressed compared to Spurs, they pressed onto Raya's right foot and forced him onto the left against Spurs, which is why his long kicking wasn't as good because he's not as good on that side. Bournemouth didn't press the keeper, so he had time to pick it out a little bit more. And also, if you if you look, because I think it was, was it James 07, that comment you put up, Raya allows Gabriel to shift more wide on the build-up. Yep. He's playing at centre-back. If you go back, I think it's like five minutes into the game, there's a moment where Bournemouth are man-for-man, apart from on the keeper and on the Gabriel. And the fact that they are man-for-man, they pushed up so much, and Raya can almost be the central centre-back in the three, it means we can allow someone else to stand a bit further up the pitch. He plays a line breaker. We're away, in, I think, in like a six v four because Erdegaard's for, uh, because Zinchenko's further up the pitch, and Erdegaard runs and gets him. So, as as James said, it's a good point. It's marginal things, small things, and I know we all love Ramsdale, but ultimately that's the game, and it's a shame. It is a shame, but it, but I think broadly, I I I support the decision. And we might we might get burned by Raya playing playing in that more advanced role. We might get burned by that, but ultimately, overall, if it's contributing positively towards goals. Anyone who's a fan of John Harrison on this channel knows this. These um, just being able to offer 0.3 in build-up, 0.4 in build-up, they all add. And over a season, that gets you one or two or three goals. And it's very, very difficult to quantify. But to win the league, that's the sort of difference we're going to need. Look, I think my, my conclusion on this uh, kind of reflects RS underscore 14 coming in. Just sorry, James, just to cover you temporarily. Says the head says Raya, heart says Ramsdale. I think we've all grown this attachment to Aaron Ramsdale. You know, the journey that he's been on, the journey that the club have been on. And, um, you know, he was a boy who came in, attracted a lot of criticism, even from some of our own when we signed him for that whopping fee. And he's done a really good job. And he's a nice lad off the pitch. We, we love, you know, his father in all or nothing. And the recent article that he talked about, some of the challenges that he, his brother, his wife have all faced in recent months. You know, we've grown to like Aaron Ramsdale. We love him like he's one of our own. And of course, Raya came in a little bit unexpectedly. You know, uh, we were a bit surprised that he was such a high caliber goalkeeper coming in. But I think that's the point here. I think as a club, as a fan base, we need to probably get used to the fact that Mikel's trying to build a highly competitive environment, a highly competitive team. And the bigger and better you are as a club, you have to be more comfortable with making tough decisions with players that we all, you know, grow up loving and having this sort of sentimental attachment to. So there are going to be hard decisions to, you know, to be made, you know, over the next sort of three, four, five, six transfer windows, players that we've, you know, watched and adored on a week by week basis, there's going to be a time when maybe, you know, one or two others move on. So that's just the kind of environment that he's building. And that's what we're going to have to get used to. Um, we we obviously beat Bournemouth by four goals to nil. It was an emphatic performance. And as I just bring up the slides, courtesy of PremierLeague.com, match stats and key moments, an ultra-analyst, you can see here, um, Alex, the match stats are very convincing. Obviously, a 4-0 victory to us, 3.47 XG compared to 0.6. I mean, Bournemouth had one shot on target in the entire game. David Ryder dispatched of that pretty well. We had 15 shots on goal, eight of those on target. You can see the shot maps on either side. The larger the circle, the higher the XG and the four goals in that sort of ready colour for Arsenal. Um, and possession-wise, we, we dominated from start to finish. My first question straight off the bat is, or more of an observation, Alex, isn't it nice to have a game where we are not put through the emotional weave times over the last few months where we either concede first or we score and then we let the opponent come straight back in at us. This was a nice day out. It's a beautiful city for it, beautiful weather, and it was just a very nice, comprehensive victory. So much so 
I think we were last or penultimate on match of the day yesterday. I mean, mm. it just feels great, right? I don't feel as exhausted yeah. as I normally do. Yeah. Yeah, I, I, I know what you mean. There's a sort of collective breath out after the game that maybe didn't need to happen. Yeah, I, I, I was, and you're right to mention Bournemouth. He's, he's beautiful. You're correct. Um, yeah, I, I was I was really pleased with it. I, th I think the my main, it's funny, when I first watched the game, because I now watched it back uh, after, when I first watched the game, my main feeling was I was really pleased with the way we adapted to the game. And I felt as though we found different ways. I thought Bournemouth were being really, really brave. I was really like, I was credit to them, especially with Iriola. I can't do his name. Um, especially with their, their manager. Um, they were committing so many guys forward and credit to them. And, and I, I thought we found different ways to get through. And it felt like a really free flowing attacking performance. But then I saw a number uh, on, uh, I think it's Scott Willis's Twitter, and he said something on the lines of like, this is our worst performance in terms of getting the ball into the final third. In terms of the actual final third entries, this is the lowest numbers in terms of Premier League, in the Premier League. So what does that tell you? That tells you we were absolutely unbelievably clinical and, and managed to make the most of those moments when we went through. So that's my main main thing now. I felt the adaptation was the first thing, and I liked the way Rice started to carry once they were were pressing us. I liked the way um, Erdegaard dropped to link play a little bit more. But actually, the main takeaway really, and maybe the, the real breath of fresh air that we all felt, is how clinical we were. We were just putting those chances away. Um, you know, and I, I, we probably possibly and probably could have had more. Um, so yeah, I was, I, was, I was really, really pleased. And I think my only downside would be I still, I, there's still something not quite right about the attack. I know then you start to go to individual conversations, but it's weird after a performance where we've been that clinical, we've created enough XG, we've won four nil to, to be saying there's still something quite right. But we know we've all we all sat there last season, saw with our own eyes what we can be, and there's still moments where it doesn't feel like we're, we're as as fluid as uh, as we can be. That said, maybe Arteta's taking that, and you know there's been some some ideas saying that. Maybe we're sacrificing a bit of that for our off-ball solidity. And I thought defensively, Saliba and Gabriel, th there's this idea that sometimes I think people say, you know, well, why are we giving up chances? We're going to give up chances. The way we play, the way we try and the way we try and attack their box, we are going to give up chances. So what you need to do is prepare for what happens when that happens. And what we've done is sign two of the best space defenders in behind them in the world. They're unbelievable. They're so good. And it, it was nice in that game because I had that symmetrical moment of Saliba went across to Solanke. And Gabriel, I think it was on Solanke, they almost had two separate moments where they both showed their worth in that moment. And that's the thing. It wasn't just the attacking performance. It was the, the ability to, to, to have strong foundations as well. You're absolutely right. I mean, listen, defensive solidity gives you an air of calmness when you're a fan, whether you're in the stands or watching it on TV. I felt yesterday was a real walk in the park and it was a measure of how dominant we are, how controlling we are how calm we are away from home. And I was saying to a friend in the post-match phoning that we did on Latte Firm, if any of you guys have missed that, do check it out on the audio platforms, Apple and Spotify, et cetera, et cetera, that, um, you know, away from home, we seem to just be so much more relaxed. I don't know what it is at home, for example, where we just seem to try too hard. We get too emotionally involved. It may be North London forever being blasted out at the start. And it just, you know, gets everyone on the emotional edge. But like, 
we do tr we, we try and force the issue like uh, away from home we're just a very calm controlled almost robotic team where and yesterday was just a perfect performance like we kept Bournemouth at bay Bournemouth are abysmal okay let's face it they've had a really terrible start to this season likely to be relegation fodder this year um haven't scored a goal at home since the opening day of the season which of course was against West Ham United and you would bet your life on on Arsenal getting the points but we still had to go there and the man of the man of the performance was really really impressive um James, to you, I mean, Alex talks about the the sort of lack of fluidity, which sounds a bit crazy because obviously we won 4-0, but I totally understand what he means. Um, what did you uh, sort of make of the performance overall before we start looking at individual goals and standout performers? Well, I was, I was actually going to mention the same thing because I saw the same tweet about us being efficient. And that that is a really, really important thing to me because Arteta has mentioned so many times that we've been able to get the ball into the final third, but it... And when he mentions being clinical, it's not a lot of people might just see that as, oh, the final action, that the final shot. It's it's not. It's being able to convert having possession in the final third into a big chance. And we did that excellently this game, where we had we had the ball in these threatening areas and then we made the right decision. And a lot of it does come down to decision making and obviously natural quality. But we were able to do that. And I think the defensive solidity that we build the team upon is so, so important for that too, because the players in the attack are able to do that. And you can you can go to bed knowing that Saliba, Gabriel, Rice are all just going to mop up behind you. It's an unbelievable transition control. And we haven't conceded a goal away from home this season. And the way I see it is very much like when we're playing away, you can almost see exactly what Arteta's plan is. It's like they're robots and they just act out exactly what Arteta's asked of them. And then for whatever reason, as soon as we get at home, they're too keen on getting towards goal too quickly. They start making the wrong decisions and we're too emotional, to quote Gary Neville. Um, but yeah, away from home, we are, we've been as good as any team this season and it's really good to see. But we need to, we need to translate this to at home and next week is the ultimate test of that because we can't afford to show any of the sloppiness that we've shown because if we give Haaland half an inch, he's going to punish us. I think you bang on. Uh, Ian Bele in the chat saying, I think we are trying to ensure that we don't overexert in games now and control temper to ensure that come the end of the season, we're not in the same position than last year. Yeah, what happened to your grammar, man? Come on, a comma or two wouldn't <laughs> wouldn't go amiss. Jesus. Uh, right, let's move on to the actual goals themselves. Keep the chat coming. And just before we forget, actually, Ian Bele did have a great, uh, great point earlier. You can see the capacity at the top there, 11,193 that fit into the vitality. Yembele says the away supporters were top, top quality yesterday. Uh, Alex, I, don't, I know you live down in Bournemouth. I don't know if you're at the game, but you probably heard heard the Arsenal fans from your house. I mean, it was absolutely incredible. And I know it's obviously easy to sing when you're winning, but there's just a real feel-good factor around the place. Samina, mina. Eh, eh, waka, waka. Yeah, it's unbelievable. Hey. I, tried to, I tried to get a ticket, but I couldn't. This is such a small stadium, so I couldn't, I couldn't actually go. But um, yeah, they were, they were walking literally by my house. You know the team walk they do, the picture. I was like, that's two minutes. It's near where we where me met we met. Africa. Oh um, man! So yeah, I was gutted. Yeah, it was. It was. Um, listen, like genuinely, our away supporters. I, I look at away support in the league, and I think Palace always impressed me. I think Liverpool naturally sort of fair enough, um, and probably a couple of other clubs. But in terms United, of United away fans are always pretty in good voice. To be fair. Yeah, but in terms of our away support is so, so good, man. It's it's incredible. And, and, and credit to them because they, for some reason, Bournemouth away seems to be the fixture where we just come up with new charts. <laughs> it's, it's great. 
Long may it continue. Right, let's move on to some of the goals, the action that we're all seeing. So you can see the goal scorers on screen. Let's just go through some of these things. Bukayo Saka, who else? Getting us off the mark, James, um, as he always does. Mr. Reliable. We'll talk about Bukayo Saka and whether he's going to be alive to see next season or not as the as next slide. But in terms of goal scorers, that the ball was played across, Gabriel Jesus has risen up, headed it across the, the woodwork. And of course, Saka was there in the right time, the right place as per. Put us 1-0 up. And at that moment, you're thinking, right, nice comfortable great start um let's just keep going from here what did you make of the goal and and, and talk us through the, the build-up i guess to, to Erdegaard's penalty well i just i just want to talk about Erdegaard in general i think it's the the discourse around him has been really confusing to me he did have a shocking game against spurs i don't doubt that he was really unusually wasteful in possession he kept giving the ball away I think it was almost a case that he was trying too hard because I thought his off the ball work was really good he was pressing better than anyone but then when he got the ball he just seemed to pass it to an opponent half the time um, but then off the back of that people were creating revisionism saying that he shouldn't even be our right eight in the future which is absurd to me I think he's one of our best players <clears throat> and that goal not, not like nice asking Sam to overreact is it <laughs> that goal was a nice example of that um, where Erdegaard picked the ball up in a good space and then made that ball to Jesus, which is interesting because that is kind of the sort of position that I envisaged. I envisaged, I can't say the word. How do you say it? In, envisaged? You said it, you said it perfectly. Just too many okay, podcasts. Today, I'm, too, I'm too tired. <laughs> um, Havertz in that sort of position. So I thought Havertz would be making those crashing edge of the box runs, um, heading it towards goal. But Jesus did the right thing. Um, and then Saka, hopefully this is a part, because this is about the only side to his game that he's not really there yet, which is his killer instinct in front of goal to get in the right place at the right time. If he's able to nail that, he's going to start really, really racking up the output because he's been getting good numbers from scoring predominantly from the edge of the box and just getting in 1v1 situations. So if he's able to add poaching to his game, he's that's going to be very valuable for us. Um Regarding the other goals, again, clear penalty on Nketiah. Um, and the Havertz one, I guess, just to touch on that, it was I thought it was a really nice touch. And um, it's what I will say is it's important that he kicks on from this. Um, this will be meaningless if he struggles the next game and struggles the game after and goes another few games without scoring. If he manages to then score an open play goal in the next game, or have a, even just a good game, because he's a midfielder, he shouldn't be expected to score every game. If he's able to have a good game and kick on from it, I think that will do his confidence the world of good. But we need, I don't know, we just need to keep up the momentum. And it was so lovely to see Erdegaard give him, tell Jesus to give him the penalty and the way the fans reacted, because um, I think it will do him a world of good, because he is, he looks like an emotional player. And he looks like um, he reads every comment online and it seems to affect him. So hopefully he can come from that. Before you talk about Ben White, I want to bring in Alex to the conversation about Kai Havertz. I still can't get over the fact, Alex, that sort of in my mind, I think of that moment where the crowd cheered almost ironically that he was going to get the penalty kick. The players have given this, you know, this, this act of generosity and um, you know, he could have missed. And could you have imagined the out, you know, the outrage, the backlash, the the social media that would have followed. I mean, obviously, we we probably would have won the game, but I'm so glad, I'm so relieved, I'm so happy for him that he scored. What what did you make of it, Alex? I mean, 
it was a moment of generosity. There was someone who tweeted, you know, XG expected generosity from 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 <laughs> Arsenal. Um, but it was a really nice moment. You know, as James says, it shows the togetherness. Declan Rice gave an interview on Arsenal.com. We played it on the football phone in la- uh, last night, just sort of saying that it was an emotional moment for the team. We, we see him working hard every day. We knows what it means to him. He's a great lad, great, great player. And it's just great to see him off the mark. It was just, it was a thing that they felt natural to do. Yeah. I mean, I got, I got a bit emotional. Not, not going to lie. Genuinely, it was it, because, I mean, Mikel was talking about that after the game as well. Literally every question he, you could ask him, Mikel, are you going out for dinner tonight? And somehow would bring it back to the fact that the players gave, gave Kai the ball. Do you know what I mean? They just wouldn't show up about it. So, you know, it's clearly a big thing. Listen, like, I think there's this this thing where we look at football and I think also generation who've grown up on FIFA and whatever, you try and put players in the same. They say, well, every player needs to be needs to prove their worth and every player needs to be treated the exact same. They're individuals. They're different. They're humans. They need different things at different times in their life. Kai Havertz, maybe at 30 years old, maybe you do drop him and you sit him down for a few games and say you need to work your way back to the team. At this moment in his career, like looking at him really when he's whispering thank you to Erdegaard on the pitch <laughs> to for the cameras did he, to see. Did he say that? Yeah, he whispered. You can see yeah. his moment. He like whispers. He like whispers thank you. To, I think he says it's. I missed that. As well. So he there's like a little moment where the, the camera cuts him. You can see it. Like this guy's clearly crying out for some confidence and a bit of a boost. Mikel had some fascinating comments after the game, and he said something like, along the lines of, in his own way, it doesn't matter what we say to him until he does it on the pitch that there's going to be doubts in his mind like we can say we value you we can say we trust you we can say we want you in the team all of those things it's to say it's actually speak louder than words it's like anything it's like you know you can have a friend who's like yeah we're best mates best mates if you never want to hang out it doesn't mean anything so it's like there's a there's a fit i'm talking to you james um so you know there's a yeah there's i think you have to appreciate these these are human beings and He's also a 24-year-old man. He will be reading a lot of the stuff that people say about him online. So, like, we have to be careful. So, look, I, I'm i really pleased for him. I also agree with James um, and think he also brought up a good point about the central midfield thing. A lot of the issue with Tabbert is a perception issue, I think. If we bought a central midfielder who'd played previously as, as more of a defensive midfielder... For example, Kai Seda. For example, Caicedo, and put him in in the role that Habert is playing, we'd be going, "Oh, that's interesting." But the fact that we moved him back, everyone's still stuck in that mindset. Well, Carl Habert needs to score an assist every single game. He's look. I'm not saying personally, from a management perspective, I wouldn't have sat him down because it wasn't right for him. Was I would have sat Ramsdale down as an example? He's a different character. I think he would respond to that. You saw him against Brentford. You can you can see that. That's a, he responds differently. People are different. I think he needed to play through this. He hasn't been at the level. He's been doing some great stuff off, off the ball. He's, he's finding himself available in space. He's winning his duels. He did a really good job on Philip Billing on, against Bournemouth. Has he been at the level? Probably not. But also, some players need different things. And I'm okay to, to allow him to move through that because I think there's a there will be a time in six months' time where we're sat on one of these and everyone's going, yeah, I always saw it. It was always there. It was just about eking it out. No, 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 no. I have the receipts. There are people who <laughs> saw it and there are people who didn't. I'm not trying to put it in camps. I'm just saying, have, have we not learned to, to work through these processes with these players when people who consistently prove us right on the talent have shown us? Granite Xhaka, Ben White could not play as a fullback. All this stuff. like we, We've seen it hundreds of times now. What hundreds of times? Five, five or six times now. And I think Remember when Odegaard signed? Yeah, yeah. 
Oh, mate. Everyone called him passive. The same allegations that Havertz is getting right now, by the way. He was passive. He's not able to make an imprint on the game. This sort of thing. And now he's. we're talking about an, quite comfortably a top 10 player in the Premier League. So mm-hmm. give him his time, especially while we're winning games. If we were losing games with Havertz in the side, you, you would, we would be having a different conversation. We'd be saying, hang on a minute. We need to take him out of the team. We can't afford to have a passenger. We've just won 4-0. And there's people, there's people still saying, "Oh, glossing over an average performance with a goal." Yeah. It doesn't matter. He's doing yeah. something right because you can't win. We wouldn't be winning a game four 0 with ten men. So he's clearly affecting the game in some way. Yeah. Whether people are able to see that as obviously as Xhaka or not, that's a different story. But yeah. yeah, while we're winning, give him time, and we will be on the right side of history, Alex. It's, well, I think I think it's two things. I think I think it's the, the the kind of take era we live in, and also the expectations of 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 us as a club. If we'd signed Kai Havertz two years ago, he has time to grow with the project. Like there's certain players who have, like Sambi Lukonga, I feel sorry for because I feel like the project did that when he's not developing that quick. Like he's a good player, he's just not ready to do that. And Kai Havertz has signed when our expectations are here, and he needs to do this, and he's just he's just going to take him some time. I think there's a couple of things on the Kai point and you nailed one of them, Alex, by saying, you know, the human being piece. Um, I tweeted actually after our penalty when Odegaard scored and we went 2-0 up, I was like, if, you know, when if we get another penalty in this game, can we just give the ball to Kai Havertz? And I got battered for it on socials. Like, what is this charity FC and FK? You've obviously never played the game in your life and everything you can imagine. You know, I got it. But I was being so sincere. I was like, this is a guy who's obviously trying. Mikel's going to persist with him. He comes with this price tag that he cannot control. He came from a, a very dysfunctional Chelsea team. And look at the state of them now. Like, he has, he has left all of that in the past. He's trying to establish himself in a team with new teammates, new instruction, new playing style. And I feel for him position-wise. Like, he's in a bit of a connector role where he's played with two or three different left-wide forwards, two or three different left-backs, including Timber and Sinchenko and Tomiyasu and Tierney. He's played with a couple of different defensive midfielders behind him, and he's played with endless centre-forwards ahead of him. So, like, it takes more than seven games to understand, like, you know, the automatisms that we all talk about and when, so who's going to move where and, you know, what what's, what type of run does Eddie like to do running behind? Where does Gabriel Jesus like the trigger? Martinelli, when is he going to sort of kick, you know, give and go? Or, you know, whoever he's playing with, they all, they're all very different players. And so I really feel for him. But the human, human being aspect, the reason why I suggested, look, Arsenal, give him the pen, it was about being generous, but it's also just acknowledging that, like, you know what, if that helps him get this monkey off his back, mm. if he nets in the Premier League and just has that moment of euphoria albeit within 30 seconds he might feel a little bit like oh it's only a penalty but like he still had that connection with the fans and that moment i think is going to do wonders for his morale like for, he, imagine how he felt last night going home telling his family yep. you know talking at the dinner table about what he did at work and how how the goal was and how he how he loved the fans and Erdegaard sort of ushering him towards the away fans at the end that must that would have meant so much to him and like all the comments have been saying hopefully now he kicks on you know, I don't want to talk about returns that we're expecting off the, you know, this season. I think he's going to, you know, be and, and continue to be a key member of the team. Arteta obviously loves him. He needs to up, obviously, his end product. You know, I think he's finding himself in great positions, Alex, like you've mentioned, but getting in amongst the goals, this is going to be that that sort of carrot now. Like he he knows how it tastes and he just he's, he's going to basically go and want more of it. So I'm really also, pleased to see him get on the score sheet. Go on, James. Just before we move on from this, the funniest thing is, Havertz's penalty record, right? He's scored 17 penalties and missed one. 
That is that is one of the best penalty records of any player in the Premier League. So it's not as if we're telling Ramsdale to go take it. We're telling probably our best penalty taker to take a penalty. So it's not as if it's some charity work. He's still a good penalty taker. There's no harm in doing so. It's not going to actually make us worse as a team. So, yeah, I, it's just people will say what they want. And um, the other thing I, I noticed, I think, am I right in saying Saka has taken all our penalties at home and um, Erdegaard and Havertz have taken them away. Mm. Mikel uh, said, something that I've thought about. Go on, go Mikel on, said yesterday, because I thought that, James, but Mikel said Saka must have given it to him, to Erdegaard. So I think Saka is our main penalty taker, and then he decides whether he wants to take it or not. From what Mikel said, I, I don't know that. but that's, that's, that, that's the sense That sounds about right. It's just interesting to me that Saka has taken and scored them all at home, but away from home, he's less inclined to take them. I don't know if that's because he is less comfortable taking them away from home, especially after the West Ham thing at the end of last season. But if we're scoring all our penalties, whatever we're doing, it's working. Well, it's the unpredictability as well, I think. And, you know, we, we all, we, you know, much better than anyone, James, with your work that you've done on it. You know, the, the I think it was you who brought out the analysis of this, the six, seven second delay before each of the yep. run ups in the Community Shield. I mean, we've obviously changed it. And uh, I think it's just great to see. We can't obviously move on from this slide and talk about other things without mentioning Ben White. And I described this game in my quick reaction video straight after the game. If any of you guys haven't tuned in, you know, 10 minutes, my immediate sort of thoughts in the heat at the moment. I described the game as a game for the unsung heroes because Gabriel, for example, is putting in performances week after week where he's not the Rolls Royce, he's not the Saliba, he's not going to get the goals, but he is a rugged, colossal warrior of a defender and you know what if i had to pick one of these boys to go to war with it would be him and the performance he is putting in week after week we're just getting used to it and when he's not there it's just a massive gabriel shaped hole um he he was outstanding yesterday uh, i thought kai Havertz had a, a really good game and ben white's another one of those where i don't know what the issue is with england i'm actually quite happy that he doesn't get picked up because he gets to go you know two weeks to the maldives and two weeks here and there and he gets he gets the rest that he needs but he has been putting in for months now incredible performances up and down that right channel. He leaves nothing on that pitch. Like I, I'm lucky enough to sit North Bank. James, you've sat with me a few times. You know how close we are to, to, to the players when we're, when we're defending and attacking that, that, that goal. And Ben is, Benjamin, I should say, is always just huffing and puffing and he, he gives everything. And to see him get a goal, I know it's just a, you know, you shouldn't really assess defenders on, on goals, but like for him to also have that moment with the fans and that recognition, is just marvellous. Um, I mean, James, can I bring you in on that first? I mean, what's it like seeing Ben White and obviously to get him on the score sheet? Just real, really wholesome. I believe I believe that's our, he's the first header he's scored for us because I know he's scored plenty, a few goals for us in the past, but I think most of them have been him coming in at the back post and knocking it in. Um, it's, I believe it's at least the first header he scored from a set piece like that. And I was very impressed because actually there have been times where he stayed back from corners. He's not even been in the box because we've got so many players who are good in the air. But it was nice to see yeah, him go up, get the goal. Um, I actually, I think he's been good this season. I think at times he's not been at his very, very best this season, interestingly. Um, but with, with White, what you will always get is at least a 7 out of 10. And um, he gave us exactly what we expected from him. So, yeah, glad to see him get on the score score sheet. And with um, Gabriel, as you mentioned, I genuinely believe there's not a left centre-back in the world that I'd swap for him right now. So, can you imagine if we sold him to Saudi? He's, <laughs> he's just irreplaceable at this point. 
I don't know what more we can ask for him. And the, the I know they're both colossuses at the back, but the the way him and Saliba just complement each other in the way that he will go be so aggressive in the duels and Saliba is more passive and will just clean up everything is exactly what you'd want in a transition control defence. So we're, we're in a good place right now and just hopefully away from home, especially Gabriel is so, so important for us. And the fact that both of these players, Gabriel, White, Saka, etc., they're so able to stay fit and play every game in the season is going to go a long way for us. It really is. Alex, is there anything you want to say on Ben White before we move on? Yeah, I th- I often think about if you tried to uh, if you tried to scout for Ben White, what would you say? You go to your scouts and go, right, uh, what I need is a six foot two bloke who's pr- still pretty wiry, who can get up and down, who can who can be in a three. Who can play a centre back in the middle? In the middle, who can also play in the right centre back? Who can probably play DM? Who's got athletic capacity in the final third? Who can burst past people? You'd be going, Hang, wh- who are you asking for? Who is this? Like there, there is no like. I'm sorry. Who is this name, person? Who is this? You're not getting that. Like who is that? So I, I, he's incredible. As a I, the the closest you have, I think I think it's an issue with Ben Ben as if I know Benjamin on two fronts. One, I think, is a perception issue. People don't know. They can go, right, I know what a traditional fullback is. That's a Carl Ward. That used to be a Gary Neville, right? That's what a traditional fullback, fullback was, right? They can support the attacks, but, you know, they're, they're defender. Then you have, like, a Carl Walker. He's, like, you know, a traditional fullback, 2.0, okay, a bit quicker, you know, whatever. Then they have this idea of an inverted fullback. Okay, well, I know what a Zinchenko is, and I know what a Trent is. They're different types of fullbacks. But Ben White doesn't quite fit into either category. So he goes in the middle. People don't know when he's had a good game. The only objections to Ben White are this. He's not supported the attack in that moment. With the with the dynamics of our team, the ball goes out to the right way quicker than it travels through the left. The ball gets telegraphed out from Thomas Partey, gets telegraphed out from Saliba, out to Bukai Saka, so it arrives there. Are you seriously expecting a bloke who's playing in the three to then also support the attack every single time? That's not fair. The other objection is him on the outside, him being pulled out 1v1 against, let's say, a Matoma. And I would agree with you. I'd say I have a few concerns there as well. But this conversation needs to move forward from a from a 11v11 into a squad game where you go, right, he is so elite at so many other things, he is allowed to have, a, have that in him. Because tell you what, when we're up against the Matoma or up against a Doku, for example, controversial opinion, I might not, well, I'm, I personally might not start him at the weekend to get up against a Doku. But that's fine. That's absolutely fine. James shaking his head. That is. Who, who would you start? Who would you start? I start Tommy Asu personally. Um, right, you're not alone. And the reason why I ask yeah. that is because a lot of these comments are coming in as a one to yeah. one for one defender. Yeah, there are people who prefer Tommy Asu. But sorry, carry on. No, it, but it's just to say that different. Get you know, people say, "Well, what's the starting eleven? Who's in, who's our best 11? Well, in which game? Against City? Against Bournemouth? Against Lons? Against PSV? Like it's different. So you're going to need different things. And I think in then that means as part of a squad, as a defender who can cover you in so many different areas, who I believe can transition to a DM, by the way, one day, he is unbelievable. Like, and I don't think people know how to judge him necessarily. And I think that's one of his biggest, biggest things. But to be honest, is he going to care? Don't feel like it. <laughs> no. And, and news is, is, is kind of filtering out from, you know, those people on, on Twitter, depending on who you follow, that he is going to sign a new long-term contract with Arsenal. So, Great news if Ben White can just, commit his just future to us. Just before we move on, FK, Go on isn't it such a compliment to our squad 
that Alex has just waxed lyrical about Ben White and now he's saying in our biggest game of the season, he might not start him. That just shows that in seasons gone by when we had Tomiyasu and we'd have gone, Tomiyasu is everything we cherish. And then you'd look at Cedric and go, whoa, 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 whoa. We're not, we're not going to use our squad. We have to play our first team here. But we have so many different tools in our weaponry now that we can go, okay, today's a game for Zinchenko. Maybe it's a game for Tomiyasu um, left back. Maybe it's a game for Tomiyasu right back. We have so many different answers to solutions. And I think just recently we are starting to, that will hopefully be the difference from this season to last season. And Timber would have helped with that massively. But last season we were a little bit more one-dimensional where we had an incredibly effective way of beating teams and teams really, really struggled to stop that. But then if that wasn't working, we didn't really have a plan B. Whereas now this is why I think at times we're looking less natural, less fluid because we're trying new things. But then come crunch time, we're going to have four different ways of beating a team rather than just the one way. And if that doesn't work, we're stuck. Um, and just quickly, the reason why I disagree with you on the Tomiyasu, I don't know. It's a it's a traditional point of view, but my view is you start your best team in the biggest games. Um, and I think Ben White is too good not to be playing that game. And yes, Doku is a concern, but also for them, they will be concerned with um, Saka, Ben White, Erdegaard on the same side. So they're going to have to do something to deal with that as well. And um, just on Tomiyasu, I don't think he's been as good at right back in recent times. Um, I think at left back and at centre back recently, he's been quite good, but I don't remember the last time at right back that I was fully convinced with this performance. Um, but apart from that, that's my, that's me done. Yeah, for me, it's not some, I mean, not so much just about the defensive game. I think both of you articulated what Ben White brings to the game, but it's the familiarity and the partnership he's got with, with Bukayo Saka. Very reminiscent of the relationship that, that Sanyo and Walcott used to have. Like they just had a really great relationship down that right hand side. And I think with the White, the form that he's in, it's difficult to, to kind of make that change. Uh, let's pick up the pace a little bit. Uh, a couple of comments that, just to close this bit and close the section on this match. Kimo FC says it was a beautiful moment when uh, Kai Havertz was given the penalty. I think Jesus was meant to take it, but Erdegaard asked him to let Kai take it. And the genuine joy they showed and the appreciation from Cry. Also coming with a similar content saying, fantastic captaincy from Erdegaard, in my opinion. At 2-0, that is still a pressure pen, like Declan Rice said, because we needed to make it 3-0 to kill the game. But safe enough, so it wasn't make or break. Thanks so much for all of your comments coming in. Uh, just shy of 500 of you watching live right now, please do like the video. Subscribe to the channel, of course, if you're new. We're well on our way to 30,000 subscribers. And get involved with these two fine chaps on X as well. The handles are as you see on screen. Uh, let's move on through the slides, because there's a little bit more content to kind of get through. And first of all, Alex, ripping the plaster straight off, is Bukayo Saka going to be with us this time next year? Because as what I can see, um, I mean, look, these graphics courtesy of now underscore Arsenal, look at his numbers. We talked about his goals and assists. And James, you talked about further devastation becoming that poacher. Uh, these are just recent fixtures. And you can see like the, the football, obviously, emoji showing the goals that he's scoring. He's also getting assists. But a lot of people have a problem in the way that he's just not coming off. And of course, he came off injured at the weekend. Um, I mean, it's quite simple. Is, what is Mikel Arteta doing? Uh, let's start with you, Alex. What are your thoughts? Um, I think with fitness, I, I always, uh, you know, we, we're, we're working with scraps anyway, but I always feel we're working with even more scraps on fitness. And we, we have so little access to 
the performance data they had these guys are tracked these guys they know when they're in the red zone they know when they need to be when they're doing less sprints it all comes up so i i get it because i i, I put it recently in a video there's almost like a a parasocial parentalism to our to the arsenal fans with saka we all feel collectively like we're his dad and i get it i do like i i feel it and like when he scores i literally feel that sort of like oh because we've seen him grow up and especially like you know you know like especially sort of the on for me personally like the kind of online arsenal community i really joined like sort of 2018 ish time when saka was you know bursting onto the scene so i really feel like i've grown up with him but look we don't have access to the data we don't know what he's he's feeling i also i think mikhail says something recently which i think is important and, and worth noting that there are rare it's rare a game will go by where a professional footballer will not step onto a pitch with something there'll be a, a kick from last week or a, a problem in the thigh whatever and you just deal deal with pain now of course some players pain thresholds are higher some are lower i imagine if we had access to the data that Simon murphy and jordan reese and whoever have if we had access to that data i feel we'd all be a lot calmer but when people say get him off get him off i feel that too and on saturday i was screaming get him off <laughs> yeah mate we would be calmer if we had seen the data and i'm sure they know what they're doing of course but we have as a fan base uh previous you know oh, we've yeah. seen players come through they take on a heavy load from a very young age. Jack Wilshere springs to mind, obviously. And I know it hasn't worked out for Jack and he's had to retire early, but, you know, Michael Owen retiring early. Um, there are lots of young players who put on a big load when they're young. And with Bukayo, the thing that really grates on me is that, again, being lucky enough to be in the North London derby, he couldn't walk for the last 10, 15 minutes. You know, he's playing right back because Bukayo Saka, because uh, Ben White, sorry, um, went into, you know, Bukayo Saka mode playing it sort of ahead of him. Like, he was crying to be taken off. And I guess what I'm saying in closing before I go to your your thoughts, James, is that if something happens to Bukayo Saka, it is entirely the club's fault because the warning, the writing's on the wall. The warning signs are there. The red flag's are already out. Like we've seen two games now in the last couple of weeks where he has been desperate to come off. Like the boy cannot move. And I appreciate what you're saying, Alex, about you know players play with pain. William Saliba is currently playing with a broken foot. I get, you know, it happens. You know, people, Lauren Koscielny would take injections every week when he was at Arsenal. Like, I, I know that. But he's so special. He's our son. <laughs> <laughs> Just like you say. James, what are your thoughts? I mean, does Mikel deserve some criticism? Should we be uh, supporting player welfare here? Um, I don't have a much better answer than Alex. Uh, my my truthful answer is I don't know. Um it's such a strange one to us as fans because it does look like you think, what's the harm in taking him off at a certain point? Sometimes he's played 90 minutes where we've won a game and you think, why can't he just come off? Um, but again, I, this is to me a case of I have to override my emotions and say I will put my faith in the professionals. Um, and I know Saka's been asking, to, this is what confuses me a little bit because when Saka's been begging to come off, you think... In that case, why hasn't he come off? Because if often I think if Saka wants to play on, if he's in discomfort but wants to play on, the club have a responsibility to say, actually, hang on a minute, you shouldn't be playing here. But he also knows his body and looks takes good care of his body. So at that point, I trust him to say, OK, no, I can play on, even if he's limping a little bit. But if he's asking to come off, that's where you do think, hang on a minute, why isn't he being brought off? But... That's the best answer I've got. I I think we've just got to trust the professionals, and um, 
yeah, Saka Saka's injuries are always very very visible. Whereas you have a player like Ben White, who Rob Holding recently said he's always playing with pain, and because it's less visible because he's not limping around the pitch, people won't be screaming out, take White off, take White off. But you could almost argue he's used in a similar way. Ben White very rarely gets rest in the same way. Um, we've just got to trust him. But if he does get injured, the pitch fox will be out and um, maybe rightly so. Mm, just on Ben White, I mean, that was an excellent interview by Michael Timms uh, with uh, Rob Holding, in case anybody's wondering. But you're right, there are players who just disguise it all. Like Saka, I notice over the last couple of months, every time he gets a kick, every time he gets gets down to the ground, there's a bit of drama, emotion on his face in that moment. I think he's just sick to death of getting kicked, to be honest, and, and nothing going for him. But um, yeah, look, we don't want our star boy to, to pick up any unnecessary injuries. And there's lots of people in the chat sort of saying, look, he must not play um on uh on on tuesday so we'll go to that in just a second but before we move away from this weekend what a weekend of peak barclays i mean look as we were watching the game i've got, I've got to be honest with you i was watching the game and before ben white scored I'd, I'd flipped over to to wolves just to kind of see the last minutes of that i actually missed ben white's goal because i was just like i need this to count down i need the invincibles to remain so as of course ben white netted score filtered through arsenal fans euphoric wolves have beaten manchester city by two goals to one and then of course you know manchester united doing what they do i mean just just the most wonderful round of results uncle unai battering brighton for six in the morning but then the liverpool spurs came out and there's been a lot said and alex you know before we went on air we talked about you know do we want to cover this do we want to sort of mention something about it so i decided to bring up the pgmol statement we've all seen the goal that was disallowed it should have been a goal jürgen klopp for me you know, he got his teeth out and he started spitting at the, you know, the journalist, but he kept it quite calm, um, to be fair to him, because I had been livid. I mean, what did you make of it all, Alex, when you uh, when you first saw this? And then, you know, obviously we'll bring James into the chat, James, with your sort of refer refereeing out on. But Alex is a viewer just taking it all in and, and you know, injecting Pete Barclays. But actually, there's, there's quite a serious uh, message here. Yeah, you know, obviously you could take the well, it's Liverpool, who cares route, but I, I do think it's a, it's a it's a shame, and I think two things broadly. My main feeling around refereeing is let the players decide the game, let the players, eleven players on the pitch, decide it as much as possible. To send someone off should be like a like they they're endangering other professionals. It shouldn't be. You know, Tommy Asu, that I was raging after that Palace game because I thought, what's the point? I was looking forward to that game all week. We had to wait till the Monday and then it gets ruined after 60 minutes for no reason. Just talk to him. And if he does it a couple more times then, but anyway, regardless. Anyway, my, my main feeling is, is is let it be in what it is, an entertainment product. It's it's entertainment. People forget about that. It's for entertainment. It's for people who've worked hard all week to come and watch their, their favourite team and let the players decide it. Then the next thing is about refereeing and going, right, well, what's the purpose of refereeing? Obviously, James can speak to this more than me. But for me, I think it's about right going, right, how do we remove responsibility where it's going to be attested to or maybe affected by human error? And in my view, I don't understand. If you, if you were setting up football refereeing now and you went, right, I know what's, what's going to happen. We should have one guy who doesn't have access to 100 cameras around, around the stadium, he should be the most in charge because we don't want to undermine him. We don't want to undermine him. Oh, God, we couldn't possibly undermine him. 
No, undermine him. Have some humility. Like, I don't get it. I do not get it. Let's undermine him. Let's take it mostly. The referee on the pitch should be there to handle small things, small situations in the game, and communicate what's happening off the pitch. I, As far as I'm aware from, and I could be wrong, so please correct me. As far as I'm aware, the reason they didn't pull the Luis Diaz thing back was because they said decision made or, or like a, a check over, assuming the referee was going to give the goal and he'd yeah. actually gone against it. And then they couldn't pull it back. What does that tell you? They're trying well, they to couldn't not... pull it back because the free kick had been taken. Right. So and that's, uh, it's not... an old law where the next phase has begun. So you can't then claw it back. But that is fast. Which is, even if, which it, is even if it was three minutes. Yeah, trying... even if it was three minutes after the free... I mean, John, exactly. James, you'll come in on this, but even if the game was like three minutes in, they could have just said, hey, look, guys, we made a massive error here. Bring the game back, add three yeah. minutes on at the end of the half, yeah. award the goal. Because they're trying not to undermine the on-field referee. And I just... I just That is the basis of all this. They don't want to look... They don't want the on-field referee to lose power. And I think it, it, if you said that now, if you invented football now and you invented how we'd referee the game and said, well, let's have one guy on the pitch. Oh, so is he going to have access to all the monitors? No. Is he going to know what's going to, is he going to have seen the angles hundreds of times? No. H how many millions of pounds are involved in this? Oh yeah, we should definitely have one point of failure. You'd never do that. It's mental. And it's all because, and I'm sorry, it all comes down to a sort of boys club refereeing where we know what we're doing. Go and watch the, sorry, James, because I'm sure you know some of these guys. Go and watch Jamie Carragher and Gary um, learning how, like, the, like, they did, like, it's a, a great series. Video. It's, it's a, a great, great video. video. Like, do you notice, FK? They have almost, like, a little C. It's not as easy as you'd think. And they have a sort of, look, we're going to protect ourselves, you idiot, you idiot. And they're giving them hell as referees. And I get that because they, they, they get a lot of abuse. They get a lot of abuse. But they shouldn't be in that situation to have to. It's like those people who become really defensive or like use humor as a coping strategy because they've had loads of stuff to deal with. Of course, you you do this, you close off, and you become your own little. You go into your little cove or your little corner. They've done that as a group. They've gone well. We're the referees, and we get abused, and we just have to go on with it. Take it away. Take it away. <laughs> Sorry, James. James, your thoughts as a obviously you know you're a referee. Um, we all know that refereeing is is not the most sought after sort of career. I've tried refereeing a power league tournament five aside, and it's the worst thing I've ever done in my life. Um, what did you make of it all? Because I mean, look, we've not talked about the red cards and stuff, but actually the disallowed goal on this statement, and 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 like Uncle Doris said at the start, you know, you acknowledge the error. It's insulting, you know, and they did it so quickly in the heat of the moment. Liverpool lost three points, and it is gross negligence. What are your thoughts? Um. <laughs> It, it is it's insane um i think and i feel a lot of it comes down to referees not understanding the sport in its purest sense where can you hear me we can hear you loud and clear yeah. my friend okay sorry, sorry um where no one would have look if if the decision was two minutes late and they they stopped play and said look we've fucked up we're gonna have to go back but this goal should have stood the same way, by the way, the same way if Arsenal scored and then they'd missed Erdegaard <clears throat> pulling back Motomine, they bring it all the way back. So there's no reason to me why play couldn't have resumed. And then the VAR go, hang on a minute, mate, you should have probably given that. You, you should have probably given that goal. There's been a misunderstanding. Referee stops play and goes, hang on a minute. Sorry, we've made a mistake. And I'm sure they will get some stick from the PGMOL and say, you've not followed the laws of the game properly. 
But in the eyes of millions of fans, they don't care about that. All they care is that justice has been served. And that wasn't a contentious, it wasn't a debate. It was very, very obvious. And they knew straight away. Yet they sat on it and said, nah, this this will be fine. We'll work it out. I don't understand what the logic is in that, why why you can come to that. And I my my view on Alex's statement about the referee having too much responsibility, I would actually rather the referee be given more responsibility in some cases. And I don't like the way they are told to... So effectively, at the moment, there are two different people refereeing the game. There's the on-field referee and then the other guy in the stands or wherever he is in Stockley Park who goes... Is this is this a mistake enough to overturn? And then if we're going to overturn it, let me show the ref the decision on the monitor. But I'm going to say, yeah, you, you should do this. You should do this. So you're not empowering the ref to make a decision. Why don't you say there's been a decision? Okay, there's there's been a penalty appeal. You might want to have a look at it. Because for the sake of 30 seconds, this could this could change the outcome of the game. And then the referee on the pitch can have a look at it for 30 seconds and go, OK, this is my decision. And then he has the responsibility and the accountability to say, right, I've made a mistake, but it's my mistake because I rewatched it and I watched it the first time and still made an error. I actually think that both red cards were correct in the way they were given. I think Jota's first yellow was incredibly harsh, but the second yellow was a rash challenge. And I think Curtis Jones, unfortunately, did have to be sent off for that. I understand that the game's about entertainment, but I also think rules are there for a reason and there's there's no reason for players to break these rules. Alex, if if we compared it in another way you're now saying that players should get away with these type of cynical fouls unless they're dangering an opponent, which would be empowering players like Rodri to make 10 fouls a game and get away with it. If I am saying that, I didn't mean to. What I meant to say, or what I, what I mean really, is referees... Are, there's a there's an amazing clip of referee in, in Ligue 1 who's essentially going around and being like, right, mate, if you do that, like, come on, don't do that again. Don't Don't put yourself at risk. They're on each other's side, right? And I think those sort of cynical things, yeah, that they should remain. And, and 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 ultimately, like if you're Romero and you're cheating, you're going down. Yeah, you should be sent off because that's cheating. That's and and that's that would be cheating, cynical fouls and stuff. I'm talking about the moments where a game is irrevocably changed because of something that feels innocuous. Really, like, like I'm really thinking of the Tommy Asu thing and the Curtis Jones thing. You may have your opinion on, you may not, but I think is it worth going straight red to to ruin this entertainment product? When I, I don't think anyone's arguing he meant to do it, even if even if you think he he endangered the player, I don't think anyone's arguing he meant to do it. He clearly goes over the ball, so that's for me that's more of an entertainment thing. And I think on your previous thing, I feel as though I, I think that's a solution, but I think and and could work. But I think the opposite side of that is that then you then put the the most amount of power on the referees, and when they make a mistake, oh my god, the Daily Mail, Darren England is a disgrace. Just take, just remove all the emotion from the situation. Take it off the pitch. The referee, you don't know his name. You don't know who they are. They're just some random guy. They're communicating with the players. And the people who have the real say are the people with the hundreds of camera angles. And then you have, and then you can um, change the amount of, uh, what's the word, points of failure. You don't have one point of failure anymore. You have loads of different points of failure who can then explain situations and they can step in and stop the game. Ref, you need to stop the game because we made a mistake. Cool. Right. Go back. Whatever. Rather than... The only danger with that being the case is because 
watching well as a referee i would say watching watching the game and watching slow-mo replays isn't a perfect assessment you don't get the same feel of how much contact was in a challenge you don't get the same which is why maybe the curtis jones one wasn't given by the referee but then var gave it so i think you'd find more of those instances where var would give things that actually if you're in the stadium you thought hang on a minute i'm i'm not sure that should have been a red card i do agree that that is definitely a better solution than what we have right now the ref should have a say the ref should say this is what i think and that should absolutely take okay. into it because it, because he's he's on the ground or he, he or she is on the ground right that they are they are in the ground and they they're able to understand the rhythm of competition they can hear things that they can't hear that's important to have someone on the pitch and communicate and talk but i just think the 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 51 40, the golden share should be to the to the people who have all the cameras i yeah. also think when 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 the ref walked over to the curtain curtis jones uh, replay they showed just a moment of impact and they showed it repeatedly whereas yeah, there was an angle where I think Gary Neville was talking through it, where you could see Jones actually get the top of the ball and his ball and his foot's just rolled over the ball, and it looks horrendous in slow motion. There's another there's another elephant in the room here. Just finally on this point before we sort of wrap up, and that is the why has the Premier League got this really old dated tradition of having British born refs, and I mean that respectfully. You know, we have the best players, the best coaches, a global fan base. We have the best product and the most money generated. You know, we've seen the story, actually, that the VAR chap was out in the Middle East officiating a game a couple of days before yesterday's game. Like, why can't we just go to Italy and Spain and the Middle East and the Far East and, you know, get pluck the best referees and lines people out out of these countries like they're going to want to, you know, be paid. They're going to want the limelight. Like, why do we have this historic tradition? I, I don't know if you guys know the answer to that. Maybe just a rhetorical question. But it's about time that even though systems are there and communication isn't quite working, we do have VAR and we don't have the semi-automated system, which is adopted wonderfully in the Champions League and uh, Serie A. Like, why don't we do something about just getting the best refs in the world? Because this game, it warrants it. My final point on this is that this game is about fine margins. And I think, again, to Uncle Doris's excellent point earlier, um, these ga- these situations have to be resolved in-game. Like, there is no point in coming out after a game and apologising. It does Jurgen Klopp nothing. It does Liverpool absolutely nothing. In fact, if anything, it adds further salt in a very, very deep wound. Because I'm thinking of, if I'm in that fan base, I've lost the game, the way that we've lost it, obviously. Come out, you get an apology, and you just think, fuck off. Like, you just think, like, you could have saved that until the next day. Like, you didn't have to do that instantly, because it just makes me feel like this big. And Mm -hmm. the apology does nothing. It does absolutely nothing. And, you you know, like, Liverpool are going to be trying to get into the Europa again, or Champions League again. I'm not throwing shade at Liverpool, you know what I mean? But, like, a point here and there, a defeat here and there, like a goal disallowed here and there can make massive difference. We had it last year twice. As we know, the with lines Brentford. weren't drawn at Brentford at home. Martin Elliott Old Trafford for that foul. It should have been looked back and the goal should have been given for that goal. Like these things make a huge difference and apologies ain't just not going to cut it. They're not going to cut it. Uh, we could talk about this all night, but we won't. Uh, we will We will race through to the fight, to the home straight. I'm sure you guys are all eager to get to match of the day too for the scintillating Premier League that was today. Um, let's just go through to uh, looking ahead to Tuesday. Uh, I mean, it's, it's City next, but of course we've got Lons in between. <clears throat> now, Champions League, that's the fixture courtesy of now. That's the team like, team setup, sorry, courtesy of Arsenal, uh, uh now Arsenal, um, from Twitter. And I, the question to you guys is, obviously, we know that Manchester City is 
a massive game, perhaps the bigger game out of the two. The question to you is, what would you do on Tuesday? How many of those team players are you are you changing? Or do you go full strength? Um, James, let's stick with you. I mean, if you're Mikel, um, what are you going to do? I, I think given the strength of our squad, there's a lot of players with a point to prove and there's a lot of players who have earned the right to be in that team. I wouldn't rotate as much as we did against um, Brentford, but I think plenty of those players can be in the eleven. I would be happy shifting Jesus out to right wing uh, and resting Saka, and then Nelson deserves a start. I think um, Smith-Rowe could come in for Erdegaard again. Biera could come in next to Havertz, even Jorginho for Rice. Um, generally keep the core of the team the same. I wouldn't wouldn't have any problem with keeping Saliba and Gabriel both in the centre of our defence, even though Kivior has more than warranted a spot. I think it could be very possible that we put Tommy Asu right back and Kivior left back or equivalent. Um, but yeah, I think I think there's plenty of room for um, rotation because it's not a long way either. So these players will still travel with the squad. If we need Saka, Jesus, some of these superstars in the second half, then we can always bring them on. But I think our um, one and a half first teams, not our first team, but between our first and second team is definitely good enough to get the job done there. Alex, if I see Bukayo Saka line up on Tuesday, I'm going to lose my mind, man. Um, <laughs> what about Eddie? What do, you... <laughs> Ed, do you know what? Perfect game for Eddie. Just, just... But all those Jesus, I think, probably needs a few more minutes to, to just fine-tune himself ahead of Sunday. I mean, what what do you think Mikel should do, Alex? Um, and just to give you food for thought, I would change it up completely. Like, I don't think... Worst case scenario, if we lose to Lons, we have many games to rescue. We know we need 10 points to qualify from the group. We're going to qualify from the group. There's no doubt about it. I I would play a much different team. I would leave out Saliba, Gabriel, Rice, Saka. Like, I think we can play Kivior, Tomiyasu. Hell, even, you know, Ben White could play. Cedric could play. Like, whatever. Just, I don't care. Lons are not great. They are 12th or 13th in the Respect. (laughs) <laughs> but like but certainly midfield wise and attacking wise we've got plenty of depth like Jorginho can come into midfield you know Smith Rowe Fabio Vieira all right give Havertz another run out Saka can just stay at home like just Saka should just be at home watching Latte Firm you know get Reese Nelson on on the on the side I mean like that's what I would do but yeah you know that's why I'm that here talking to you guys what would you do yeah and this is well yeah same I I there's things that we would do and there's things that McKelly's going to do. And if Bakai Saka is fit, he will play. Sorry, he will. And I, I, it's, it's just it's just one of those things. Um, yeah, I think Lorne are like, what, one point out of the relegation in yeah. France? So, you know, they're, we, sh- we should be beating them. I think it's one of those things where I, I get that people get towards the game and start panicking. And go, well, no, we need to, you know, we need to, we need to play. We need, we need to win. We need to win. It's like, okay, if we can't, if we can't rotate in this game, when can we? And that's that's the questions I have for people like Reese Nelson and people like Smith Rowe. Uh, and I felt it like against Brentford, for example. Uh, I was really pleased they started because I was like, if they can't start against Brentford in the Carabao Cup, when are they going to start? When are they? When are they? When are they right for the game? I I, I really don't know. So personally. I would go for the likes of Nelson. I would go for the likes of Smith Rowe. I'd try and get Vieira in there on the right wing over over Saka. I'd probably bring Jorginho in. I'd probably start White because I'd rest him for the uh, rest him for the weekend. I know that's not a popular decision. Um, I'd love to see Tommy Asu 
um, at centre-back or um, maybe Kibio at left-back. You know, I'd, I'd bring Ramsdale. I'd make wholesale changes. I think Mikel will probably change a few things, maybe three or four things. I think he might change the, the left full-back. I think he might possibly sit Erdegaard down or something like that. But I really, I think, I think most, most for the most part, he'll he'll rely on the the, the finishes. And this is another thing I, I do think we think about it in terms of starts a lot. I think Mikel is really in the world of starts and finishes. And if we have five subs, even if Saka, Saliba, yeah. Rice, Jesus all start, they can all come off. As, you know, and I, I wouldn't, I wouldn't, I don't think that's the worst thing in the world. It's a good point. And I, I completely respect your point about starters and finishers, but you know what? I know it's a short journey to France. Just leave my home, Mikel. Yeah, I'd agree. We have a massive <laughs> opportunity on Sunday. We've not had a strong team against Manchester City now in three or four games. You know, I remember fixtures against City over the last few months. You know, Jesus goes missing on the day. Party gets an injury the night before. Zinchenko's out. Like, just rest yeah. the best players. Give them the week off or whatever and go hard against City, who are, of course, away at Leipzig the next day. So we've even got an extra day's rest, which might come into Mikel's mind can, and he'll play Saka. Can you imagine Ugh. the Twitter X timeline if Saka plays against Lons and Don't gets an even injury? say it. Can you imagine? Don't even say it. Don't <laughs> even say it. Your as well. You're in trouble. <laughs> Yeah. <laughs> don't even say it don't even say it right um we are going to wrap up just talking of uh Bukayo Saka and whether he's going to be alive next season uh this was a question that was posed to me by the excellent uh Wayne who's still in the chat uh, on the phone-in show yesterday in a couple of sentences if you had to buy one of these and leave one of these for maybe another suitor to swoop for in January I think the question was actually, look, if you've got £60 million to spend and both of these players were going to cost £60 million each and, and they were both keen on joining Arsenal, but you could only sign one of them, who would you buy? Um, Alex, you did a video, a great video on why no thanks, Ivan Tony, but um, well, maybe we'll start with you. Uh, if you had to pick one of these two, who are you getting in Jan? If it's £60 million in January, Ivan Tony. I would, I would buy... Uh, mm. I'm not sure what I'd do in January, but I, I wouldn't. I, yeah, I'm not sure. But in terms of the, in terms of out of these two to go on and try and win the title this season, who's going to give us a a, a better chance? I think Ivan Tony because he comes in as a, as a ready-made player. Um, not to say Pedro Neto isn't isn't getting there, but you know he's still got. I, I he's he's on a bit of a hot streak. You have to look at a, a wider sample. He he looks really really good. We've had interest in him back in 2022. I also think someone asked me the other day, who's the next player who's going to be Ramsdale or Tierney? I'm not saying Martinelli is going to be dropped because I think Martinelli has world-class potential. What I'm saying is I think in the next 12 months, we're going to have a period where Martinelli, his place is challenged. I just can't see how Mikel Arteta in the last... So what, in January, he tried to sign Madrid and last summer he tried to sign Pedro Neto. Okay, he signed, okay, signed Trossard, but you can't say there's not a ceiling he's trying to get to with with that position so i i don't know I, you know sorry, I, I have a, I, I have a no, mate it's a great shout do you not think that pedro neto is as a right winger though i don't think or so. both obviously i don't think so I think I, so on that i think he's both i think this is going to be even i'm going to see your wackiness and, and raise you alex i think gabby martinelli is going to be ending up playing number nine for us i think he's going to play through the center at some point and i think pedro neto would be the perfect player for this squad He's direct, he's rapid. We've seen what he's done just in the last few weeks. That goal, of course, at Anfield yesterday, uh, scoring against City. Plays right, plays left, phenomenal pace. And I think it might allow Martinelli. And, and listen, I like Tony. I really like Tony. I, I didn't like him at first, but I've really grown to like him. And I, I can see exactly why he'd fit in. But 
for me is that there's an obvious way, outright winner all day long. You, James, before we wrap up? Um, yeah, I, I think Tony, um, mainly because, as I was talking about earlier, I want as many different ways of winning as possible. And I, Pedro Neto does give you that, but less so does he increase that than Tony, who gives us a whole new plan. Because if you bring Tony into the team, then when we get the ball in wide situations, crossing the ball becomes a serious threat. Um, I think there's obviously justification for Neto in terms of Saka is in dire need of a backup. Um, but then what I would say is Jesus is an excellent right winger if we need him to play there. And then Tony could fit in up front. Um, why not both, man? Um, <laughs> long, lo- long term, I do actually... Get your money out, buddy. Pedro Neto is a signing. Williams, but there's just, just. <laughs> oh, see this Arsenal tattoo. See this. <laughs> what I will say is finally, because this yeah. on brand. If we did sign Tony, we would have an outrageous set of penalty takers. That's all I have to say. Yes. Tony, that, that is Havertz, that true. Is Taka, the most AFC James take I've ever heard. <laughs> it is. It and is. That's all I, I have even... to say. I think your dissertation's got to your head, right? We are going <laughs> to stop there. Before we go, as per normal, let's just share a couple of things. First up, the Premier League table, courtesy of PremierLeague.com. So hopefully you guys can see that on your screen now. Uh, so you can see that Manchester City, even though they were 100% seven, uh, they were six out of six, but they went to Wolves and they got beat thanks to the Korean guy. They are first 18 okay. points on okay, the board. That's wrong. Tottenham have won the league, mate. It doesn't show that. <laughs> I was just, I was just, you know, I was just about to question, like, what the hell? I mean, this is literally the Premier League website. And yes, of course, Big Ange. Uh, Spurs are in second place after that last gasp win against Liverpool yesterday. They are ahead of us uh, based on goals scored. Arsenal, of course, in third. We find ourselves a point behind Manchester City going into the game next weekend, which is going to be phenomenal. Uh, Liverpool, who, of course, lost yesterday thanks to those decisions, terrible decisions, are in fourth. Uncle Unai's Aston Villa have climbed into fifth after thumping. Brighton, who have now dropped down to sixth. By the place. way, West Ham going strong as if, well in seventh. Go on, James. If we beat uh, City, when we beat City next week, Aston Villa yeah. have the chance and very well might go level with them because Aston Villa should beat Wolves. If we beat City, they'll be level. That it would be absolutely bizarre. It, it would be bizarre. It would be bizarre, as would Manchester United maybe finishing top half of the seat, uh, of the table. <laughs> they are currently 10th in the Premier League, and I can't even see Chelsea on that screen, which is great. So let's move that away. And of course, finally, as we normally do, one more page that we... <laughs> One more page that we're going to share, which is going to be the fantasy football. So let's have a look at how Latte Firm is doing. It's been a terrible week uh, for Latte Firm. Uh, let me show you the guys on screen there. 37 points. I don't know if you guys can see that clearly if I just zoom in a touch. Um, I basically, I've had a mare because I didn't make any changes and I had loads of Newcastle players in the team and loads of Brighton players in the team and Brighton have done me absolutely no favours at all. I can't even remember making uh, Ferguson my uh, vice captain, but there we are. Dunks, uh, dunks, 37 dunks points. coming off your bench, by the way, if you didn't notice, you're on 35. Oh, God. Great. Even better. Um, what I would say is that I've dropped down in the Latte Firm Super League to 343rd. And top of the league currently is Zufar Azka with Laska. Atulia, um, 75 points this week. Let's have a look at his team. Trippier at the back. Look at that, 12 points. Captain Harlan, just like I did. Ollie Watkins, hat-trick hero against Brighton, 23 points. And look at that, Martin Erdegaard, 17. He's got David, he's got six points on the bench. Ah, what a what a, what a lucky uh, run that is. Let's go back to the table. Who else has caught my eye? Matthew Craps, 
please tell me that's your official surname, Matthew. Uh, he's although he has gone for his t- team name change name. Uh, Ariola in goal, nine at six points. Matty Cash Anderson, of course, scoring the winner at Old Trafford with fifteen. Again, another pick for Odegaard and Watkins, twenty-three points. That is great. As a reminder. Um, whoever is top after game week nine in the Premier League, so once we're a quarter of the way through the Premier League season, there will be a prize on their way to you. Could be maybe the new Arsenal shirt. Right. Let's go back to uh, the slides, get that off your screen. Listen, I think we're going to leave it there. It's been a fantastic show, much longer than I thought it would be. Uh, Still, just shy of 500 of you watching live right now. Please, if you're tuning in for the first time, like the video, subscribe, of course, to the content. Well on our way to 30,000 subscribers. And of course, if you like what these two handsome chaps have had to say, engage with them on Twitter. Not that they need the love because they are giants on that social media platform. Uh, James can be followed on at AFCJXMES. James, thanks for joining us tonight go and enjoy your dinner uh and alex of course uh founder owner host of the excellent the different knock uh can be found on x at amon football um oh am on football rather uh, alex thanks for joining us tonight as well hope you guys have enjoyed that um we will be back i think with a post-match phone in after lawns i'll be doing that maybe on the ferry back from france i don't know how i'm gonna do that we'll figure a way we will, we will be there we will be there. Uh, and then, of course, it's the big one. Manchester City next weekend. Loads of content to come. Uh, look after yourselves. Have a tremendous week. Enjoy the week. Arsenal are back in business. 4-0 and a point off City. Can't be complaining. Until next time, bye for now.